0: Good morning. It's good to see you all this morning. I'll tell you a little story. In the October of 1884 it was said to be a blazingly hot sunny day in a little town, with the worst name ever, Middle San Francisco Plaza. We now call that little town Reserve, New Mexico. There in Reserve, New Mexico, they had a new sheriff in town. He was 19 years old. He became sheriff because he could afford a gun. That was the qualification at that time. His name was El Fuego Baca. El Fuego Baca. And one of his first tasks was to take care of a drunk cowboy in town, He'd, he'd had too much and was getting wild. And so he went in. He placed Charlie McCary, McCarty, excuse me, under arrest. So Baca flashed out his badge at McCarthy. took Charlie's gun and arrested him and took him down to the adobe jail. It's a little bitty place. And I mean, when I say little, I mean talking little, like smaller than a bedroom. But it was made of adobe. It was a tough building. And Charlie's fellow cowboys wasn't, weren't real happy with El Fuego Baca. Matter of fact, they decided they were going to go get Charlie out of jail because he really didn't need to be there. And so Charlie's friends between 40 and 80 of them converged and surrounded that little adobe jail and demanded that Baca send out Charlie, the cowboy, the drunk cowboy. And so they, they, they kept demanding. They, they were screaming and yelling. And Baca refused. He held his ground. And he sat there in that little adobe jail. And somehow a shot rang out. And then another and another. And it's estimated that after 33 hours of shooting, roughly 4,000 rounds fired at this little place, Baca and his little six-shooter was the only one to strike blood. He shot and killed four of his attackers. He wounded eight others and didn't get a scratch. After that time, they decided to call a truce because everybody was out of bullets. The incident became known as the Frisco Showdown. We all love a good Wild West story, right? I mean, how many cowboy movies out there? I mean, how many times? I don't think there, there, there is not a male in this building that has not said, go ahead, make my day one time. Like, we all loved the showdown. But there was a showdown that even Baca and his 40 to 80 attackers, uh, those odds didn't even compare. It, it wasn't a Wild West showdown, though. It was, it was kind of up north, like up north in the Middle East. There was a lone good guy, and he faced off. He called out the bad guys, all 850 of them. It's one of the most iconic miracles of the Bible. And 1 Kings 18 is where we're going to be. We're going to read the whole thing. So if you have a Bible, open it up. If you don't, let me encourage you today to grab one of those Bibles, one of these black ones out there. It's on page 299. We're going to read this whole thing. It'll help you to kind of follow along. But this showdown took place on a place called Mount Carmel. And Mount Carmel, it's only like 1,700 feet. Don't think, you know, huge. Um, But this place was a peak, was where the sea and the valley floor where they grew most of their food all met. So it was a gorgeous place. It overlooked the ocean one way, other way you could see all the plains where they were growing their food. This, this was like the area where they grew the grains for that whole region. Today, this area is so fertile, it, it supplies about 30% of Europe's grain. I mean, that's, this is, this is good, good farmland. And so the kingdom up here, the northern kingdom, had an evil king who had established as two state religions, one for him and one for his wife, and we'll we'll read about those and get into those later, but they were not the religions of the one true God. And God's prophet, Elijah, who was speaking his words to them, had run off into exile to save his life. And and I want us to read this. It's also, not only is it one of the most amazing miracles of the Bible, it's also one of the greatest stories of all history. It's written so beautifully. It's got irony, mockery, plot twists, shock. It's got it all. And so I want us to kind of take that in. And so as I looked at how to structure this, how how to really help us communicate and see the heart of this, it it felt odd to kind of talk about it at the end. Like we want to let it in and let let it hit us a little bit. Let God's word just impact. So the first thing I want to do is we're going to fly through This really long, detailed outline you see on here, but we're going to go through it in about five minutes, all right? So y'all grab your outlines if you can. What we're going to do is we're going to go through, here's the things we should get out of this story, or some of the things, certainly not all of them, but some of the things we ought to get, kind of reflecting on this. And then we're going to walk through this story, and I want you to see them, kind of like, y'all remember the old highlights pages? I don't know, everybody my age probably does, all right? It was a picture, it was like a hand-drawn picture, And you were supposed to find other pictures in it, other little things in it, little nuggets that had a theme. Well, that's what we're going to do today. We're we're going to have our list of things we're looking for, and then we're going to read through and just let the text speak for itself. So the first thing, the first theme, theological theme for this is God is the only real God. God is the only real God. This is the primary thing we see in this text. So there's three things. I want us to kind of get in that. Alright? Here's where the rubber meets the road, so to speak. So the first thing. Trust in God who is sovereign. Trust in God who is sovereign. Sovereign means He rules everything. He is in charge. Nothing goes down that God does not allow or do Himself. Trust in God who is sovereign. Second. Worship God who has unlimited power. Worship God who has unlimited power. And third thing, pray to God who changes people's hearts. I'm going to go through that one more time because I know we're going really fast. God is the only real God. Therefore, we should, here's the do We should trust in God who is sovereign. We should worship God who has unlimited power. And we should pray to God who changes people's hearts. So that's kind of the premise, all right, and building on that logically. So God is, He is the real God. Therefore, any other God is not real, all right? basic logic here. So point two, therefore your idols, your idolatry is a big joke. Now catch the wording there. I didn't say idolatry is a big joke. Our idolatry is a big joke. We're going to talk about that a little more as we go through the sermon. It's easy to see these guys are messed up, but we need to be very careful and not point to those guys. We need to look inward and see ourselves. Therefore, your idolatry is a big joke. So, what should we do about it? Number one, do not hope in false gods who will not answer. Do not hope in false gods who will not answer. Number two, do not trust in false gods who cannot save. Do not trust in false gods who cannot save. And then finally, repent because your idolatry will be judged. Repent because your idolatry will be judged. That word repent, it's definitely a church word, all right? So I know I'm using a church word today. It was also Jesus' first sermon, repent for the kingdom of God is at hand. So it's a good church word, all right? We, we take that one well from, from our founder, Christ, our, our central, our core, our everything, Christ. He said repent. And what that means, it, it, was, it was in its original language, it meant to turn around, all right? Direct translation, turn around. But the way the Bible teaches is we were going in our way of sin and we turn to Christ way. It's a, um, it's a shifting of allegiance. It's, we were our own. And the Bible actually says we were even part of the power of this area, part, part of the devil's kingdom in our ways, every one of us. And we turn to Christ kingdom. All right. So those are the things we're going to look at. We're going to come back to that. All right. So even if you didn't quite get all that, if it's not absorbed, that's, it's not supposed to yet. All right. We're going to get into the text, and we're going to see, hopefully, all these things. So 1 Kings chapter 18, we're going to start in verse 1. We're going to read the whole thing. Again, it's a little bit longer. 1 Kings 18, verse 1. We're going to start on page 299, if you've got one of those black Bibles. Again, to set the scene, Elijah's God's prophet, all right? He's out in exile. Ahab is the king of northern Israel. We split into two. All right? He is as bad as it gets. Israel' has had a history of bad kings. He is literally the worst. And then his queen is even worse than him. It's so bad, and ironically, again, that Elijah had to run out into exile and he hides in the queen who so evils Dad's kingdom. It's kind of like they never look for us right under their noses. I mean, that's, that's where Elijah has gone. So he's been hiding out there, and God tells Elijah to go do something. The other thing that's been going on that's key to this passage is for the last three years, it has not rained. Remember where I said this is? This is farm country, and it's not rained for three years. If it doesn't rain here for a while, we get crispy grass. This is the Middle East we're talking about. It doesn't rain there, you get crispy everything. I mean, it, it's over. There is no easy sources of water here. The Jordan dries up and they're in big trouble. So there's been no rain for three years at God's hand, an act of judgment. So look with me again here. First Kings chapter 18, we're going to start in verse 1. We're going to go through, we'll just kind of pause at little moments And I'll kind of fill in a few gaps and, and kind of help us reflect back on these things that we're talking about today. So after many days, the word of the Lord came to Elijah in the third year saying, go show yourself to Ahab and I will send rain upon the earth. So here's what happens. God appears to Elijah. He talks to him, says, go to Ahab, go to the bad guy that wants to kill you. I'm about to send rain. Now, here's the amazing part from Elijah's side. That's a scary thing. Go show yourself to the guy who wants to kill you. That's usually not a good plan. But God says, I'm going to send rain. Elijah knows, just put your finger on there, verse number 45. Turn, just a little number 45. And in a little while, the heavens grew grew black with clouds and wind, and there was great rain, and Ahab rode and went to Jezreel. He knew the end of chapter 18 at the beginning of chapter 18. All right, y'all get what's happened here? So God had just said, all right, here's what's going to happen, and just go do it. This is already done. It's just a matter of acting it out. You see, God is sovereign. This is that very first Theological point there. God is sovereign. He knows the end from the beginning. And what appears as news headlines to us is simply history to him. Elijah can go boldly before Ahab because he knows what's going to happen. What would seem hopeless and even deadly is nothing for a man who trusts in the sovereignty of God. He knows God's plan, so he acts boldly. Verse 2. Let's keep going. So Elijah went to show himself to Ahab. Now the famine was severe in Samaria. That's the capital of the northern kingdom. That's where Ahab's from. And Ahab called Obadiah. We have no clue who this guy is other than the next three verses, all right? He who was over his household. Now Obadiah feared the Lord greatly. When Jezebel cut off the prophets of the Lord, cut off, that's a nice way for saying executed. Obadiah took a hundred prophets and he hid them by fifties in a cave and he fed them with bread and water. Now I want to say something specifically to a few of our folks here. Obadiah was a godly person working in a godless government. Did y'all catch this here? All right, the worst king, really godly dude, is his second hand man. That, that kind of makes us a little queasy and weird in some of our political views, right? So we, we want to make things very black and white. There's the bad guys over here and the good. Worst king, right hand man, godly man. So let me say to you who work for the government, thank you for your service thank you for sacrificing and doing something very frustrating most of us would prefer not to do but let me also encourage you no matter what the administration says what what the new set of rules rolling out is what you need to look like to make it stay faithful to god stay in there hold the course even if it means suffering even if it means loss of your role Obadiah trusted God who is sovereign even with an evil king. But, but let me pull that in to some of the rest of us, too. There's been a lot of jobs where I've worked for an evil boss. This one, I mean, it's been horrible. The last 11 years. No, I Joe and I are very, very dear friends. <laughs> I'm close. But I've been there's times where you get up. And the last thing you ever want to do is go into work. Be faithful like this man was. Who knows what good God will use you to do? Be faithful. How many of us need to trust a sovereign God like this who's got this one? He's got it. I don't know what it is for you, but he's got it. Trust God like that. Verse 5. Keep going with Obadiah here. And Ahab said to Obadiah, Go through the land to all the springs of water, to all the valleys. Perhaps we may find grass and save the horses and mules alive and not lose some of the animals. Such a good king. He cared so much about his people and his horses and mules. Anyway. So they divided the land between them to pass through it. Ahab went in one direction by himself and Obadiah went in the other direction by himself. And Obadiah was on the way. Behold, Elijah met him. And Obadiah recognized him and fell on his face and said, Is it you, my Lord Elijah? And he said to him, It is I. Go tell your Lord, Behold, Elijah is here. Now, this may sound a little odd, but Ahab's been chasing Elijah for three years and not find him. And there's been reports, Oh, here's Elijah. And he'd go out and kill whoever made the false report. So, verse 9. And he said, How have I sinned against you that you would give your servant in the hand of Ahab to kill me? As the Lord your God lives, there is no nation or kingdom where my Lord has not sent to seek you. And when they say he is not here, he would take an oath of the kingdom or nation that they had not found you. And now you say, go tell your Lord, behold, Elijah is here. As soon as I have gone from you, the Spirit of the Lord will carry you I know not where. And so when I come and tell Ahab, and he cannot find you, he will kill me. Although I, your servant, have feared the Lord from my youth. Has it not been told, my Lord, what I did when Jezebel killed the prophets of the Lord? How I hid a hundred men of the Lord's prophets by fifties in a cave and fed them with bread and water? Now you say, go tell your Lord, behold, Elijah's here, and he will kill me. Elijah said, as the Lord of hosts lives before whom I stand, I will surely show myself to him today. So Obadiah went to meet Ahab and told him and Ahab went to meet Elijah. Isn't it interesting that the king obeys Elijah? Anybody else find that a little ironic? The king who's trying to kill Elijah, Elijah says, come here. Okay. Okay. I don't, I love this part. I I love, if you can't tell, I love this story. When Ahab saw Elijah, Ahab said to him, is it you, you troubler of Israel? And he said, I have not troubled Israel, but you have and your father's house because you have abandoned the commandments of the Lord and followed after the Baals. Now therefore, send and gather all Israel to me at Mount Carmel and the 450 prophets of Baal and the 400 prophets of Asherah who eat at Jezebel's table. So Elijah just stepped out, called out Ahab to a challenge, to a showdown. 850 prophets of the local idols, Baal and Asherah. He called out the king who had murdered the hundreds of faithful followers of Yahweh, the true God. And he told him to all bring all your buds, bring all your henchmen, and let's settle this who is God thing once for all. Ahab sees his chance to deal a death blow to the old, outdated, exclusive worship that he saw on the wrong side of Israel's history. He was jumping at the bit to deal a literal death bowl blow to this weird dude who kept talking about God and the scriptures, about how sinful all of Israel was. And the guy who'd asked God to make it stop raining, too. See, Ahab worshiped the modern of that day, religions of Baal, which, which literally translates boss. It's the guy in charge, it's the overseer. And this worship, this, there was a particular version kind of brewing at the time. It spread all over the Levant, all over what we think of the Middle East. And it was in tune with all the senses. It was highly connected to nature. Worship would have been an experience to see. There was lots of connection to music, to dance, to art, to sexuality, nature. It appeals to so many things of who we are. Not only that, Baal was the god of thunder, of war and fertility, male fertility. He was manly. He was tough. He was exciting. This is what Ahab loved. Winning, victory, power. And Baal satisfied all of those needs. His wife's goddess, Jezebel, where she worshipped Ashtera, or excuse me, Ashura. And she was the empowering goddess to women. It it put sexuality out front. It mocked traditional femininity. It was the religion of enlightened, empowered women. Both of these were a little bit of, take some of this, take some of this. As long as you're cool with whatever, we're good to go. But even better, both of these religions... Supported Ahab and Jezebel's political power. Take away the symbols a cow, a phallic pole. It looks like to me you've got Western civilization pretty well summed up. This is us. Granted, we don't have a cow statue, right? We don't dance around telephone poles. But strangely enough, we bow down to idols just like those silly ancient peoples did. You can tell when someone's idol gets stepped on because they get upset. How many of us need to scroll through our Facebook seeds and see what makes us mad? See when somebody's treading lightly on the idol's. Oh, and heaven forbid they do. Then we get real mad. It's amazing how when someone deals a blow to our idols, whether they be moral, cosmetic, dietary, sexual, we get angry. We fight back. Those people are bigots. They're fools. They're trolls. Whatever the word might be. Because they stepped on me. You see, the ultimate idol isn't a cow or a big pole or a political party or a position at work. The ultimate idol that every one of us bow down to resides right in here. Boil it down, we worship ourselves. We want to set the rules. We want to. To be God. Does that sound like maybe Eve from the garden? Remember Satan's temptation? You will be like God. Oh, give me that fruit. And every one of us eat and eat and eat. You see, it wasn't those foolish people out there. With the dumb idols. It's the foolish people in here. And and, and I want to speak. Kind of home folks. Church members here for just a minute. It's us. We say we worship and follow the true God. But look how many times. We stray off. Verse 20. So Ahab sent to all the people of Israel and gathered the prophets together at Mount Carmel. And Elijah came near to the people and said, How long will you go limping between two different opinions? If the Lord is God, follow Him. But if Baal, then follow Him. And the people did not Answer him a word. Silence. Perhaps one of the loudest things they could have said. Did you catch that language he used? How long are you going to go limping around? I remember few times <laughs> one of my joyous ailments as I've gotten older I have weak ankles and and rolling an ankle man that is the most horrible like you know it's coming you start to feel and there's nothing you can do and on that go whoo the pain and then for days out, you know it's the... Elijah says that's exactly what we look like we look like the dude or the lady who's rolled an ankle It's not even bound up. They're not doing anything about it. They don't have the boot. They don't have the... They're just hobbling around. He says, that's what you look like because your hearts are divided. You won't say it's God, but then you kind of want some God. Students, let me say something to you. I've done this and I've seen it. How many times I wanted so much. That grass on the other side of the fence. Oh, I wanted to be a Christian. Don't don't get me wrong. But I I wanted. And that's exactly what Elijah calls out about the people. He says, y'all are just limping around out there. Verse 22. Then Elijah said to the people, I... Even I only am left a prophet of the Lord, but Baal's prophets, 450 men. And by the way, he, didn't, he may have not known this, he may have known it, I, we, we're not sure. There were a few other prophets, they were all hid. Verse 23, let two bulls be given to us, and let them choose one bull for themselves, cut it in pieces, laid on the wood, and put no fire to it. And I will prepare the other bull, and lay it on the wood, and put no fire to it. And you call on the name of your God, and I will call on the name of the Lord. And the God who answers by fire, he's God. And all the people answered, it is well spoken. Hey, that's a good idea. Then Elijah said to the prophets of Baal, choose for yourselves one bull and prepare it first. For you are many and call upon the name of your God, but put no fire to it. They took the bull that was given them, they prepared it, they called upon the name of Baal from morning until noon, saying, O Baal, answer us. But there was no voice, and no one answered. They limped around the altar that they had made. Do you catch that last phrase? Same word, right? Right? Elijah says, y'all are limping around between two gods. And then Elijah makes fun, or the, the writer makes fun of the worship of Baal. They were just kind of limping around. They were dancing. They, they were dancing. There was, was a big ceremony that went on with this. It just looks like they're limping around out there. Do you catch that he equated the two? All of us who keep limping around, really not following God... As we ought, strain off, that's limping around, so is following Baal wholeheartedly. Our divided hearts are no good, just like theirs, who are following the idol fully. But that idol didn't answer. There was no reply. There was no answer, of course, because he wasn't real. Listen to what happens. At noon, Elijah mocked them, saying, "Cry aloud! For he's a god. Either he's musing, or he's relieving himself. He's on a journey." Perhaps he's asleep and needs to be awakened. You know, everybody needs a little nappy poo, right? And they cried aloud and they cut themselves, as was their custom, with swords and lances until blood gushed out of them. In other words, they were saying they were so dedicated, I'll, I'll sacrifice even myself to you. Verse 29. And as midday passed, they raved on until the time... The offering of oblation. In other words, late afternoon, early evening. But there was no voice. No one answered. No one paid attention. All those things we go after, they don't answer. That time when you're at your darkest moment, boy, don't count on social media to cheer you up. But gonna go the other way. Those false idols never answer. An idol never satisfied. An idol is not a real God. Verse 30. Then Elijah said to all the people, Come near to me. Do you see how even how it starts? There's relationship right from come close. Get in. Let's be together. And all the people came near to him, and he repaired the altar of the Lord that had been torn down. Elijah took 12 stones. There were 12 tribes. At this point, it's kind of faded a little bit, but there was one stone for each tribe. According to the number of tribes of the son of Jacob, to whom the word of the Lord came, saying, Israel shall be your name. Verse 32. And with the stones he built an altar in the name of the Lord, and he made a trench about the altar, as great as would contain two sias of seed. In other words, the trench would hold roughly 40 gallons. That's as close as we can get to that. And he put the wood in order. He cut the bull into pieces. He laid it on the wood and he said, Fill four jars with water and pour it on the burnt offering and on the wood. If he was using the religious jars of the day, those hold 20 to 30 gallons of water. 120 gallons of shot he pours on this thing and remember they're in the middle of a drought Elijah's calling on them to sacrifice their most precious possession it's interesting by the way I'm not sure, we might need to check with the hill of Simes. I'm pretty sure this is not Boy Scouts 101 on how to build a fire either right? Verse 34. He said, do it a second time. They did it a second time. He said, do it a third time. They did it a third time. And the water ran around the altar and filled the trench also with water. There's so much water, the dirt can't even hold it under this thing. It's flowing out into this trench. Only a true God could respond in this circumstance. That's exactly what Elijah's trying to prove to them. Verse 36. The time of the offering of oblation, Elijah the prophet came near and said, O oh Lord, God of Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, let it be known this day that you are God in Israel, and that I am your servant, that I have done all these things at your word. Answer me, O Lord, answer me, that this people may know that You, O Lord, are God, and You have turned their hearts back. There's no dancing. There's no music. No jumping around. No cutting. He just asks. And do you catch this? The very end there. You, O Lord, are God, and you have turned their hearts back. We get this, so far, it's been kind of a bleak message, right? All y'all are wrong. Here's the twist. God changes hearts. Let's keep going. Verse 38. Then the fire of the Lord fell and consumed the burnt offering and the wood, but catch this part, and the stones and the dust and licked up the water that was in the trench and when the people saw it they fell on their faces and said the lord he is god the lord he is god god does change hearts so let me challenge you some of you i hope are feeling some burden of our idols God changes hearts. God didn't bring you here today to hear His word to leave you the same. God changes hearts so dramatically that God the Son came to earth, became a human, eternal God became a human, lived a perfect life, and fulfilled all those righteous requirements that we couldn't. He didn't eat the fruit of idolatry. He relied on God the Father the whole time. He obeyed all the time. And then, not just to provide the righteous requirement of the law, but to take away the judgment that was coming, he bore sin on his body and died on the cross. That's what we celebrate when we talk about Jesus' death. He took our sin. He took my sin upon himself. He died. Three days later, he rose again to prove who he was. This wasn't a contest. They danced for a whole day. 450 of Baal, 400 of Asherah. One dude says a sentence or two, and God thumps it. Like, this isn't Elijah getting... Hey God, would you take care of this? Done. I woke some of y'all up. (laughs) Do you, do you realize people talk about in, in pop culture, um, the battle of Armageddon. Have, have any of y'all ever actually read in scripture what the battle of Armageddon is? The devil incites every army of the earth to try to fight Christ upon his return. And this is literal or figurative. We could figure that out for months. But, but this is the story. He, he incites all of this at the end of time. And they're going to fight Jesus. They're going to finally have their way. And you know what Jesus does? He comes down, and he talks. And they're all dead. That, that, unfortunately, doesn't make a great movie. So we don't ever see that one in Hollywood. <laughs> There's no battle of Armageddon. There's a bunch of armies getting together at Armageddon, which, by the way, was in the Valley of Jezreel. Like, this is the exact same spot we're talking about, the whole thing. There's no competition the way the Bible describes it when Jesus comes back is He's riding on a white horse. It, it, from what it sounds like, He's got a giant tattoo says He's in charge on His leg. And He doesn't have a sword. He is the sword. His words pierce anything. And He just wins everything. That's how God throws down. Oh, y'all can't light the fire? Well, I'll melt the stones. Y'all can't burn up the bull? I'm going to take care of the dust under the altar. God is God. And we need to be careful never to forget it. Verse 40. It's something that, it's a dramatic verse here. Elijah said to them, seize the prophets of Baal, let none of them escape. And they seized them, and Elijah brought them down to the brook Kishon, and he slaughtered them there. 400 men were executed. That's a harsh reality for us. But just as God gave a little, little tiny picture of what was coming when Jesus returns and he takes over, he gave us a little picture of what's coming when he returns and he takes over. And that is judgment for those who won't repent. So repent because your idolatry will be judged too. Repent of your idolatry. Trust the gospel. Turn to Christ before it's too late. Verse 41. And Elijah said to Ahab, Go up, eat and drink, for there is a sound of the rushing rain. So Ahab went up to eat and drink and Elijah went up to the top of Mount Carmel and he bowed himself down to the earth and he put his face between his knees. The humble man who had led all of this still knew who was really in charge. He bowed before God. He said to his servant, verse 43, Go up, look toward the sea. And he went up and looked and said, There is nothing. And he said, Go again. Seven times how long have you been praying how long have you been praying we stop short verse 44 and at the seventh time he said behold a little cloud like a man's hand is rising from the sea i've always pictured this all my life of like he sees something the size of a fist and somehow when i was reading this i was seeing like mickey mouse gloves like floating above the ocean here i don't know what it is Something the size of a man's hand. Not a lot, in other words. This, this is not a dramatic answer to prayer like the other one. But look at how Elijah responds. Verse 44. The seventh time he said, Behold, a little cloud like a man's hand is rising from the sea. he said, Go up, say to Abraham. A- a- oh, not Abraham. Different guy. Say up to Ahab. Prepare your chariot and go down lest the rain stops you. So he sees a cloud this big and he says, man, you better get out of here or you're going to get stuck in the mud. That's faith. That's repentance. God said he was going to make it rain. Oh, there's a little tiny cloud. God's doing what he said he's going to do. Trust in a sovereign God. Trust Him. Verse 45, we read it earlier. We're going to read it again. And in a little while, the heavens grew black with clouds and wind, and there was a great rain. And Ahab rode and went to Jezreel. Okay, we got the bonus miracle here. Wait for it. 46. And the hand of the Lord was on Elijah, and he gathered up his garment and ran before Ahab to the entrance of Jezreel. 18-mile race. Dude and a chariot. Dude wins. All right? I, I, and there, I have no idea what the point of that is other than to say. What an amazing day. It, you think back and the, all these people, and again, people watching this, thousands of people are watching this whole thing go down. What do you think their response is going to be? Their first, hey, Lord, he's God, he's gone. But you know what they do? They keep worshiping Baal and Asherah. So often, we think, if I only could have seen that, well, I'd have so much faith. The reality is, God has shown it to you by his very word today. So the question that remains is how will you respond? Will you trust the God who's sovereign instead of letting your heart worry? Will you worship the God who has unlimited power instead of being distracted by the game on your phone? Will you pray to the God who actually changes people's heart instead of yelling at them, worrying about them, giving yourself an ulcer because you can't change them? Will you hope in a false God? Will you trust in a false God because they're not going to answer or say? Or will you repent and turn to the true God who will judge all those false idols. We're going to pray. Our, our musicians are going to come back up. We're going to sing. We're going to sing about this God. This God. Worship like never before. If you need to repent for the first time, you, you need to know what, how to, where to start. Where's, where's the starting point to this? I'd love to talk with you. Joe would love to talk with you. Somebody who brought you would love to talk with you. Turn to the true God. And for the rest of us in here, let's stop limping around, folks. Father, what a vivid picture of a bunch of foolish folks hobbling around Worshipping a cow and a stick. Lord, thank you that you give us pictures to show us how foolish, what a big joke our idols are. Father, let us not think we're the sophisticated ones, but see ourselves and turn to you. Please help us, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen.